pinball podcast that can do it weekly without burning out it's it's true this is the only show episode 342 and we were doing this way before we had christopher franchi tips on how to do pinball podcasts all right are you guys ready for josh kugler from american pinball we have a great conversation and i give josh so much props for coming on the show you know that we don't always talk so favorably about American Pinball and Oktoberfest. And Josh came on the show and we had a great conversation. And I ask all the questions that should be asked of this company. And Josh gives a lot of amazing answers and articulates so nicely why you should consider Oktoberfest in your pinball lineup. And I think you're really going to enjoy the chat. All right. All right. I'm not going to do any other news, any other rambles. I will do another show this weekend in which I address some of the feedback I've received recently, some of the feedback I got from the last show in which some people are like, I love the show. Some people are like, I hate it. Why don't you take the high road, Canada? Why don't you be like those other pinball podcasts and talk about your weekend for 15 minutes? We're not going to do it. We're going to air the interview right now. Enjoy it later. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome to Canada's Pinball Podcast, Josh Kugler from American Pinball. Josh, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. And it's been a while. We we had you on. I mean, it was, it was maybe over a year ago, and I, I know you're fatigued from the Midwest Gaming Classic, but thank you for finding the time to join today. Happy to be here. You know, it's funny, as we were getting ready to connect, I noticed in my Skype that it said the last time we talked actually was a November a year ago. So it has been quite a while. Okay. Well, we'll have to do this more often. And I think, I think now is a really good time. And what I want to do, Josh, I want to talk all about Oktoberfest. Um, we might have some questions about, you know, what you guys learned from Houdini moving into that title. Uh, and let's just have a, like an open dialogue about it. How's that sound? Sounds good to me. Okay. So right now it is April 15th, and you guys are just wrapping up MGC. What's the status of the game? Uh, well, production started a few weeks ago. We did uh, 40 games or so. I don't know the exact number. I don't really keep close tabs on production. Um, as sort of the first chunk. And then uh, they turned on the, the faucet, so to speak, on full about a week or so ago. We finally got the parts we were waiting on in. You know, one of the challenges with building pinball machines, they have thousands of parts, and all it takes is one part missing to bring things to a screeching halt, or at least to prevent games from getting out the door. Right. And you kind of have to have everything in the factory to really get the line going, right? Or else it's, you, you can just be frozen because of one thing. Well, it tends, depends a little on what it is. Um, so in some cases, you can build the the play fields to a certain point and the cabinets to a certain point but then you're stuck until you get that part so you end up with play fields all over the place waiting for you know some parts to come in right. um but you know part of it is we, we made some play field changes and that resulted in uh you know a delay in getting certain parts and uh, you know a difficult decision but was the right thing to get the play of the game where we wanted it to be yeah, and I definitely want to talk about that, um, and we'll go into in a little bit about you know 
revealing the game early and getting feedback from the community and how that has sort of uh, given you guys some opportunities to make changes. Before we go into that, just is the line moving right now? Because I saw the photo where it looks like you guys are in a whole new factory. <laughs> I don't know what Normal was doing with that photo. Did you see I, it? I gave him, it's like he, he takes a picture of it that shows like nothing when the other side of the room is, you know, people lined up at play fields. I'm going to have to get him to post a All new right. photo. We, we look, somebody showed me that photo and I'm like, what is this? And it, it, was, it was pretty funny what we saw. We gave him grief like. Like that was the best photo you took, Normal. It was pretty funny. Uh, I'm gonna uh, have to help him. Uh, I was like, I know. I was like, there's like three women, and there's like an empty shelf, and I'm like, this clearly got to be a whole. Right, that's you know, actually towards the end of the line when it's getting ready to go into some final stuff. So it was pretty funny that he took that. Maybe he was afraid to go deeper into the factor. Right, know. right. Well, Josh, maybe we do this in like chronological order. So I, I definitely, you know me. I mean, I've been critical from a marketing standpoint of the theme Oktoberfest. So. Walk me through sort of, as a new company, how you guys sort of land on a theme and then sort of what's it like internally trying to figure out like what the demand will be uh, on a theme that you land on? Well, Oktoberfest um, was a dream theme of Joe's for a long time. Um, and when he first you know, brought it up as a theme, I thought he was crazy. That, you know, my first reaction to Oktoberfest is like most people's reaction is to Oktoberfest, which is about, you know, beautiful women carrying huge steins of beer. Right. And not that there's anything wrong with that. Um, so when I first heard the title. I was like, you got to be crazy. And then I went and I, I did my research on it because I, I really knew nothing about Oktoberfest. I knew enough to know that I didn't really know what it was beyond women and beers. Um, and then I went and did my research on it and learned that it is a, you know, basically a fall festival. It is a family thing. It's about rides and food and music. Uh, and it's actually very, very similar in some ways to what we have here in, my, in the town I live in called Old Home Days, where they bring in amusement rides. And it's all that same stuff. There's the beer tent and the food tent. And they have a, a stage with you know, musicians who come in. And it's a great time. And it struck me that we haven't had a carnival-themed game for quite a while. We won't even talk about the last one. Um, so when I really understood what the theme was, I saw how it could be a really good fit. And I also thought it was kind of some good counter-programming uh, relative to at least what the rumored games were that were on the horizon. Right. Um, now, how does it and, work? So then when he, Joe's got the theme, does, does everyone get like a vote? Or what's it like? Does, is it just like, we're going to trust you and we're going to go with it? Um, well, you know, on, on that particular game, uh, because it really was a passion of, of Joe's, uh, we looked at it and said, all right, let, let's make this happen. Uh, right. Jeff, our artist, was really behind it. He wanted to do it uh, as well. As we're moving forward on additional games, you know, we're obviously looking at a lot of different themes and really deciding where we want to go and where we want to pass. And, and obviously, we trademarked some things. Um which was, uh, I will tell you, as we talked about in Texas, uh, we are certainly not doing all of those themes. We may not do any of those themes. We might do one or two of those themes. Uh, and we will certainly do things that are not on that list. Right. And we'll talk a little uh, bit about those that, that, that leaked a little bit. They're not really leaked, right? People are searching for this stuff. So we know the hyper-fanatic pinball community will, will find trademarks and patents wherever they exist, Right. Right. Um, but you know, actually, just to go back on that with, with Oktoberfest, you know, cause we also trademarked Oktoberfest. And as you recall, 
people found that, and it was quite the conversation. Uh, it was actually somebody over at Jersey Jack, I think, was the first to find it and, and posted it, and then that got shared all over. Um, and there was a lot of chat at that time about the theme. If it was a good theme or a bad theme. And if you recall on Pin's side, there were people, this is the stupidest theme ever. And other people, oh, this is a great theme. You've never been there. Um, but what I think actually worked out really well in that regard is that it actually set a pretty low expectation for the game. Because right. people were thinking, oh, this is not going to be a good theme. This game's going to be terrible, et cetera, et cetera. And sort of the interesting thing that you've seen in pinball is here this had a really low expectations. And when we revealed the game, uh, it was an overwhelmingly positive response to the game because a lot of people was, this isn't what I was expecting. Right. And, and I joked about wanting to do that in the future. Cause if you look at some of the games that had been incredibly anticipated and hyped and there've been, you know, two or, or three, I could think of right off the top of my head over the last you know two years that people were in such high anticipation of, it's almost impossible to live up to those expectations. Which, which games, I'm going to put Willy Wonka aside because I've I've been chastised last week for hyping Willy Wonka, but I do think it lives up to the hype. But which games, um, Josh, over the past like couple of years, do you think sort of fail to live up to like the expectations? I'll give one of mine first. I think Star Wars was one that comes to mind for me that people were just well, like absolutely uh, the anticipation to finally have a Star Wars game made it where it was almost impossible for them to live up to it right. to begin with. And then obviously there were some things about the game that people weren't happy with. And and that's sort of what I said. It would have been hard for them to really make everybody happy. Right, right. Uh, no, absolutely. And, you know, you could probably thank me a little bit for lowering expectations because it, it was a theme that was polarizing from just hearing the title, right? I think a lot of people might be unfamiliar with Oktoberfest. And as we look at pinball, it has become a formula of either blockbuster movies, right, blockbuster bands, and we're not used to sort of going into territories where there's not that level of like fandom right around a theme. And so um, we, we always are speculating how well a title will do. Josh, when you guys revealed it, let, let's talk about like the, it's revealed at Expo in October. And um, what what was it like coming out of that and, and some of the conversation, right, revolving around, like, I felt like was an innocuous monkey on the back glass. Like, what was it like, right? You guys did all this work. Do you find people sort of started to focus on things that were detracting from all of the stuff you guys put into that game? Gee, I thought we weren't going to talk about Monkey Gate. No, just joking. <laughs> you know, the, the thing about that was I don't think a single person said anything to me at the show about it. I don't even think we heard any, there was much talk about it until days after the show. Um, I had actually not seen uh, that version of the backlash until a day or two before the show. But to be honest, I didn't pick up on anything that struck me as, oh my God, this is going to be a problem. I certainly understand how some people found it uh, in poor taste. I get that there was certainly no intent uh, of that. Um, and, and it did become quite a distraction. And again, in the polarizing nature of these types of things, you had people literally saying, if they take the monkey off, I'm not going to buy the game. Right. And people saying, if they don't take the monkey off, I'm not going to buy the game. And, and we obviously right away said we would, we would, we would make a change because we, when we looked at, it, he said, yeah, I'm, you know, I didn't see it this way, but we could see how people did. Um, so, so we made the change and, um, yeah, we've tried. We really haven't changed much else as far as the art package. We tried very much to uh, live up to the theme, but not cross the line. 
that many people say we didn't even get close to the line. Uh, and no matter what we would have done, some people want it to be, you know, more adult and some people want it to be less. Right. So I think we found a, a middle ground uh, that works. Uh, there is a family friendly setting in the game. And we will, once we finish up uh, that part of the game, we will add at least some voice calls and potentially some other things that will be a little less family friendly. Um, just because the theme does call for a little bit of that type of thing. What was it like trying to get the right balance with the pinball buying community, right? Because sometimes it feels like you're trying to make a game that's family friendly, right? People can very, they can be very sensitive about an item like a, a monkey. Um, and then you've got people that are like, I just want more like TNA on a game about beer drinking in Oktoberfest. How do you find that right balance? Well, it's certainly not easy. And we look at things. And like I said, I think more people would say we were too conservative than liberal. But, you know, um, I think that's the appropriate thing to do. Um, and, you know, obviously pinball art for, for since its beginning has had you know, a risque element to it. And I think some people recognize that. And what I will say is when we talk to women about the, the backlash and the art in the game, not surprising, you get a, a wide range. Uh, but most of the women, especially those who, who are around or associated with pinball, you know, uh, setting aside the monkey for this part of, for this point in time, feel that it's very appropriate and very low key uh, in regard. So um, from, from that standpoint, the general feedback we've gotten uh, is that people are very comfortable with where, where the art package came in. Right. Like there's far more noise about it not being uh, risque enough than there is people feeling it's inappropriate. Right. And right. I really haven't heard any comments nor have you really seen any talk uh, about that since the games, you know, since second unveiling at Texas where we showed the, the, the final production version, there's been really minimal talk about that aspect of the art package. Right. Who did the art for the game? Uh, Jeff Bush did the art. And he also did Houdini, correct? Yes, he did. And, um, uh, he had done some other games uh, back in the day. He, he did Apollo 13. Um, I want to say he did Pinball Magic. I'm trying to remember. So there's a few other uh, titles he, he's done. So he's been in the industry for quite a while. He has a pretty good sense of, of pinball. How, so yeah, how I, think his Houdini, or, I think the Houdini art package right? Uh, spectacular. And I told Jeff at the start of this, this is going to be very hard to live up to that art package because I thought that one just really came together uh so well the the cabinet the the back glass uh, the inside art it just really all came together extremely well to fit that theme right and i thought it's gonna be hard for him to match that with oktoberfest right and and i was just gonna say that right is we and i'm i, I do this uh, pinball fans do this is we are so hypercritical about art right now in pinball right i mean you can go back and look at stern machines from 10 years ago and there's like no art now we're at the point where we want our art perfect or we're, we're going to let you hear about it. How has he taken the feedback to some of the criticism of the art? Um, well, just before, let's go back to that. I'll answer that in one second. I just want to comment about the, the focus on, on the art. And right. I think part of what happens with that is it's the first thing people see of a game. Right? A game gets revealed. What the first thing and almost the only thing you initially see, although there's been obviously improvements over the last few releases with the companies, 
but is the art package. And that's the first thing people react to and they focus on. And it gets a tremendous amount of attention because of that, you know, and uh, I think that's even brought more to it. And I think that the problem sometimes is that takes too much of the focus of the game is gets hung up around, you know, part of the art style. Uh, I think Jeff is very happy with the art package. Uh, I think he, he's really pleased with it. Uh, he's gotten some real positive feedback, you know, around us. Some people really like it. Some people really don't like it. Um, and I think that's probably, as we've seen in pinball, more common than for everybody to be in agreement on an art package. Um, right. I think he took a lot of feedback after Expo and he made some changes and uh, tweaked some things. I think uh, he made the cabinet changes he made, I think were really nice. I think it's a nice, clean look to the cabinet. I asked him to move the logo. I thought was uh, the company logo was too prominent towards the front. Um, you know, he made some other changes based on feedback and, and with the play field. And I think uh, really brought things uh, together and cleaned it up nicely. Right. And, and, and it's really interesting that you say that the art sort of does detract. And like with the initial impression of a game, it's almost like we're staring at the art and, you know, all the hard work that goes into the mechanisms and all the design, the layout. And I think that's why there's so, so much debate about art, right? Is that because it's final. I mean, just like the shot geometry, I mean, it's final and people are going to, they're going to live with it or die with it, right? <laughs> In terms of like once they buy the pin. Um, so launching well, I think everybody, Expo, yep, go on. Everybody thinks they're an art critic too. Right. right. You know, right. That's what goes with when, um, when uh, Scott Denisi on TNA, as everybody remembers, it was a Whitewood. And, and then when they first showed the, the art package for the game and the Playfield art, uh, there was a lot of negative commentary about it. And I talked with Scott, who's a friend of mine, and obviously nobody likes to see that. And I said to Scott, I said, the problem was you gave people a blank canvas. And everybody imagined in their mind what that art package should look like. You know, they knew what the backstory of the game was. And the play field of Kevin, they all drew in their mind what that art package was going to be. And then when the art package was revealed and it wasn't what was in their mind, their first reaction was negative because that's not what it should be. And, you know, over time, people really love the art package once they look past, well, they thought it should be this style or that style. And that's the other thing that goes is people have this expectation when they know of a title, what the cabinet should look like, what the play field should look like. And then it does it. You know, Star Wars was a great example of that. People looked at that play field and they were like, that's not what I was expecting. Well, here's my question, because knowing that, like, I think what's happened a lot over the last couple of years is the bar by which we judge stuff keeps rising. Right. So five years ago, every art pack, which is pretty mediocre for the most part. Right. Now you've got guys like Franchi and Yeti and you've you've sort of we've we've seen art packages. Dirty Donnie, they've raised the bar. And, and as you guys think about making American pinball as competitive within the competitive set of pinball, um, do you guys look at stuff and say, look, you know, it's, it's at the point now where with so many options, we have to meet or exceed the standards by which our competitors are putting out into the marketplace. Like what, what's it like trying to, trying to compete with some of that stuff? Well, we obviously look at every aspect of our game and look to get better and better with each release. Um, and I think that's what everybody tries to do. That's what Spooky has tried to do. It's what Jersey Jack has tried to do. Um, and at this point, it's what Stern is trying to do. 
Right. You know, I think we can all see that they have upped their game uh, over the last few years, uh, which is you know a positive of competition and, and there being choices and options out there, and it's created better games for all of us uh, to have that. So uh, you know, as we map out our next few games, we certainly look at every aspect of our games and where can we get better. What are we doing well? What are we not doing well? Uh, we spend a lot of time talking about that and figuring out going forward what the right things are to do. Right. What kind of things did you guys learn moving from Houdini to Oktoberfest that stand out for you? Uh, you know, I haven't really thought much uh, about that. Uh, there's a lot we tried to learn relative to getting you know production up and running. I think we improved on some of those areas and not in some from, from that side of things. Um, you know, we were able to take a little more time to make changes uh, in this case, uh, or at least we, we found the time to do that. It caused some, some grief, but we were able to do a few things that we really felt weren't the way we wanted them to be and figured out how to make those changes. Um, the code is certainly far more complete on day one uh, than it was on Houdini. Uh, obviously, being a, a second game helps with that. Uh, part of that is having a, a second uh, developer on board. Um, Joe Schober, who did the coding, uh, the, the games and rule coding on Alien, uh, came on board to work on Oktoberfest with me, uh, which has been just a, a great experience uh, working with Joe. Uh, collaborating with him has been uh, incredibly rewarding, and I think the, the rules in this game are, are, are really phenomenal. Uh, when people learn the rules and get uh, into them, I think they're going to really like it. And that ability to collaborate with somebody versus uh, on Houdini, I was working pretty much alone in developing all of the rules. Um, not necessarily this was a learning from Houdini, but it was something that was different this this that was really enjoyable to me uh, to be able to dialogue and brainstorm uh, in, in developing the rule set for the game. Who's who's helping you right now? Don't you have? Am I making this up? Uh, sorry, Ferret, the coder who who helped out on Alien. Yeah. yeah. So Joe Schober, yeah, he goes by Ferret. Um, so we brought him on board when Highway went under. I think I waited 24 hours before I reached out to to, to Joe to see if he wanted to come on board. Uh, I know other companies reached out to him as well. Uh, you know, finding a uh, somebody who understands how to write game code and understands rules and how to make those things fun and has that skill set. Uh, you know, those people are hard to find. So it was a, a great pickup for us uh, to get him. Like I say, it's been, it's been great right. working with him on the game. And um, he's a, you guys take a little bit of a different approach, you know, with the games revealed in October and you guys really do listen to the community and to feedback. Do you feel like that has, pluses and minuses you know where everyone's trying to give you guys advice at some point you also just have to sort of make decisions uh you know and and call it a day with how you you, you develop a game what's it like getting that feedback and how do you manage it well you know i we listen to all feedback or, or at least i do and, and I, I share uh you know what we hear and what we see and, and like any feedback you know some of you look at and you say that's that's good feedback or that's a valid criticism. And sometimes you look at things and say, I don't know what this person is talking about, uh, or they're providing uh, no real useful information. You know, you do have, you know, there are obviously some, you know, uh, you know, pinsiders out there who 
are just always negative, who are, you know, whatever reason they've decided, you know, they, they don't like our games so they don't like us and they're being very critical without any supporting statements to what, what their issues are. So we ignore that stuff. I'm always happy to take good ideas and implement them. Uh, there's been a ton of things that have gone into Houdini and some things that have made their way into Oktoberfest. There were suggestions or ideas or feedback that I got from people. Uh, I'll take a good idea wherever it comes from and then claim it's my own. I, I have no issue doing that. Yeah, right, right. No, I, I totally get it. Um, okay, so the game is – how far along is the game in terms of the code in your mind? Um, the game logic portion of the code is probably 97% done. Um, we're finishing up now, um, a couple of the mini wizard modes We're dropping in the animations for those. And the only thing that hasn't been coded yet, although while we're talking, Joe might be coding it as we speak, um, is the, is the Uber, uh, wizard mode, the Uber Meister mode. Um, but the four mini wizard modes have been coded. All of the tent modes have been coded. Um, so the code's in a really good place. Uh, we, we're still working on animations. There's some placeholder animations that need to get replaced. There's some uh, animations we want to go back and improve and redo once we get all of them in place. Um, we're missing probably about a third of the music right now, maybe a little bit less than that. Uh, right now there's only one of the main audio tracks. There'll be four. Uh, there's one, maybe two modes that are sharing music right now, um, so that needs to get wrapped up. Uh, we're still dropping in voice calls, and we'll do another round of voice calls one more time back into the studio uh, with the voice actors to do the pickups on things we missed or things we're seeing when we watch people play and we see, okay, they're confused by this, then we need to get a voice call in for that. Uh, right. A good example of that is Stein Racing. Uh, so Stein racing is where you only play with your right hand. And despite the fact we all there's all this talk constantly about what's going on on the screen, people don't look at the screen, which is telling them you're only going to use your right hand and you'll watch it to show some of you will say the left flipper is not working. <laughs> and it's like, yes, because you're only playing with your right hand. And so that's the idea is you're drinking with your, your other hand, right? You're holding a drink in your hand. Right. You're playing with just your right hand. Very cool. Um, Has that ever been done before? Actually, um, I know there's a feature on Multimorphics P3 for one-handed play. I don't know of any place else it's been done, and I'm not sure if they've used it in gameplay or just literally as something for people with disabilities. Right. Um, but I actually just added code uh, last week um, that you can you could always we always had it set up. You could play the entire game one-handed, but it was a setting. Uh, now we've changed it so you can start one-handed play just by holding in the, the two buttons on the right side when you start the game. Gotcha. And then that'll put the game in one-handed play. So you're playing dollar games or you're at the bar and everybody's going to play holding their drink. Um, so you don't need to have the key to the coin door to be able to go into um, that mode. Um, but that's a case where, we, where we're seeing confusion. We're going to make a couple of changes. And that's a great thing about having the shows right now when we do. Uh, TPF and MGC, uh, you know, I, I got to watch hundreds of people play the game uh, and observe their reactions and see what, you know, what things need to get tweaked. Uh, today we were pouring through some of the audits, uh, looking for anything that jumped out that required uh, tweaking. 
Uh, Joe's very focused on getting the scoring balanced in the game. He's a tournament player, uh, so he's always very focused on making sure we have all the right things in place for tournament play, both to you know challenge the players and ensure integrity. I'm not a tournament guy, so that's very helpful uh, for him to be able to make sure we do that stuff right. Right. And I think it's important to have that balance. You know, I think sometimes tournament players and, and collectors or just casual players, they approach a pinball machine differently. And so I think that it's nice that you guys have sort of the, you know, the dual mindset at play with, with this game. Now let's talk, I think, you know, we've been talking a lot about this and that, I don't, you know, I don't really want to go into too much of like people's feedback on the music. You're never going to appease everyone like the polka versus rock, right? I'm sure so, your guys' heads have to be spinning at some point that like, all right, we just, just play the game, right? Just play the game. And I think for me, what stands out when you do play the game is there's just a ton of features in this game. Joe, uh, Josh, walk me through for, for the person listening to the show, like what, like the main features of Oktoberfest. And cause I do think you guys jam pack the machine with a lot. Um, it is really loaded. It's a very fun, play, you know, play field. You know, it's different about Oktoberfest from Houdini's. Houdini, when you play it, it's kind of an intense game. You got to be really focused on your shots. You got to be really uh, in tune with what's happening. And it's, you know, it's a little bit of a battle. And Oktoberfest is the opposite. It, it, it's a very friendly game. It's a very joyful game. It makes you feel happy when you play it. Uh, there's a lot of shots. There's a lot of different things to do. It's got some really nice uh, flow to the shot. So the, the one of the main features in the game is, is the left ramp. So it's an up-down ramp. Uh, you light it by spelling uh, October or Fest, which are the, the lower stand-up targets. The game has something like 27 stand-up targets. And uh, we actually make sure those actually get a lot of use in the game uh, just to – go off on a slight tangent right uh one of the things we wanted to do uh and ferret was very focused on this as we were laying through the rules was to make sure we were using all the different things that were in this game because joe put so much in there so you know we have modes that are focused on the october and fest stand-up targets on the side there's a mode focused on the pros targets there's a mode focused on uh the ramp roller coaster so the different modes aren't just this sequence of shots or this sequence of shots. They really try to focus on different parts of the play field. So we really take advantage of all the things that Joe put in there. Um, so the left ramp, which you lower by spelling either October or fast, uh, is a super steep ramp that feeds up into a, a physical ball lock at the top. Uh, and then completing the other bank lights it for locks two and three. And that feeds into the huge wire form that has the, the two loops in it with a little zigzag in between. Uh, and it's actually pretty cool when you get the three balls all cruising down there. Right. It's the like same. the roller coaster, right? That's sort of like you're right. getting into the car and then we're off. Yep. And we, and we call it the corkscrew. And actually at one point we had a, a different design in the middle. It was literally like a corkscrew, but we just weren't comfortable. It was reliable enough that you wouldn't get ball traps in there. Right. So we had to drop it. Joe will figure out a way to do it on on another game. Uh, so that was one of the key features we were looking at. Uh, there's another, so that's one of the multi-balls. The other multi-ball, well, there, there's five, but the other main one is beer barrel multi-ball. And that's the shot off the upper flipper. It's the side ramp. 
that circles around Otto the bartender and goes into the, the big keg. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, uh, that's a three-ball lock, and those are locks you can steal. So whoever gets the third lock gets the multi-ball. Um, it's kind of nice that unless you're paying attention, you may not always immediately know how many balls are, are in there. Right. Um, so that's where you can steal locks. The roller coaster, you can't uh, steal locks. See, um, I like the, stuff like that. And I always find when I when the tournament players hear about stuff like stealing a lock, they get upset uh-huh. and they want to turn it off. What, do, what are your thoughts on that? I actually think tournaments would be more exciting if we could plunder and steal balls. Well, I, I think that the, the, to me, the only real question on that is there is a feature as to whether or not the start of the game, it begins empty or not. Uh, and that was the way it originally was. And we, we added it to keep the balls because we want people to get more multi-ball. But Joe's the tournament guy, and he was totally in agreement. In fact, I think it was his idea to have those be locks you can steal. So if any of the tournament guys turn out to be upset about that, they can go talk to Ferret about it. All right, okay. there you go. And one of your own yeah, coded the, that into the game. Uh, so, but you know, there are lots of games that that have this, and that becomes part of strategy around uh, setting it up. And the reality is, is you have, if you're a tournament player, start multi ball. Don't right. leave locks for the next guy. Right, start yeah. multi ball. So, play and this better. game's got a lot of modes, right? It's got is it fourteen different tents corresponding with fourteen different festivities that take place at Oktoberfest. Uh, so at Oktoberfest, there are 14 what they call big tents. Um, and so that's what we patterned it after. Uh, so 13 of the tents you can do in any order. And then the 14th tent is after you have visited the, the first 13. And uh, all tents have a way to win. And once you win the tent, you cannot go back to it. But if you did not win it, then you can return to it. And some people think there's a great strategy in keep playing juggling, which is a two-ball multi-ball. And I'll tell you, there's no advantage to doing that. You want to finish and beat the multi-ball and collect the points and do other modes. Continuing to go back to that multi-ball doesn't really give you a lot of points. Um, Not not the right strategy. You you really want to try and finish modes. uh, And ultimately, if you visit all the tents, then you get to go to the 14th tent, which is Flippermeister. what, what yeah, happens there? Uh, well, that's one of the mini wizard modes, and, you, and uh, I won't go to the details. No, but you know, people have to get to it. You know, I, I think it's important to let people reach that and explore it and, and learn it that first time. I, I will tell you about one of the other um, mini wizard modes that we have, sure. uh, which is duck derby. So uh, one of the features in the game are ducks. There's four targets that are called the duck targets. And just to take a step back, when we were starting to work on the rules, you know, we wanted to have a mystery award because you know, every machine needs a mystery award. And we said, oh, you know, when you go to the carnival, they have your know, kids pull the little rubber ducks out of the water, and on the bottom there's a prize. So that'll be perfect for, you know, the mystery award. And we said, you know, gee, I wonder if, you know, maybe we'll just dress them up in, you know, Oktoberfest outfits. And I can't remember if it was Joe uh, Schober, myself, who Google. Well, it turns out that I think it was Joe that Oktoberfest ducks are like a real thing. They're like these collectibles. Uh, so it worked out perfect. And I went and told Balser, okay, make these targets yellow. We're going to get Jeff to put ducks by them. And you know, we're going to call them duck targets. And, and I leave. And he turns to the guy who shares an office with him and he says, What is Coogler thinking? He's putting ducks in the game now? Yeah. Uh, 
And which he then Googled it and he realized what it was. And, and now Joe has a whole bunch of these ducks on his desk. It's pretty funny. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you so, guys are going deep into the lore, which is good. I mean, I mean, I, I, I when we talked about Houdini, I, I got the same sense that, you know, there, a lot of what is going in there is just historically accurate or just accurate based on the theme. You know, this isn't stuff you guys are making up or just putting in there to put in there. Um, there is, you know, there's a reason for it. Absolutely. I think if you you really want the theme to come to life in the game, you want things to make sense and not just be in there for uh, random reasons. So sometimes you might stretch a little bit to to get something in there. But you really want to try and capture that because there is going to be some segment of people who are going to look at it very seriously in that regards. There were Houdini fanatics who you know I would have heard from if things were way off. We actually had one person who was even still upset with how we portrayed the seance stuff where they felt you know, he was against psychics. And so, yes, we get that. That's why we're featuring psychics and you know that's part of it. You know, even though we presented it in a particular way that they found maybe objectionable. So um, I think that's important. And I think as you see us work on our, our future games, you'll continue to see that uh, trying to be true to the subject matter right. um, is important uh, to us. Uh, oh. But just to finish up on the ducks. So yep. um, collecting ducks, very important, helps increase your scoring in all the modes. So ducks, are, ducks are good. And if you collect enough ducks, you get to Duck Derby, uh, which is just a really fun mode. It's a multi-ball. It's another good reason to get there. But it's sort of like ducks in an Olympic pool swimming. And one of those ducks is your duck. And if you hit the right shots, your duck advances along. But if you hit the, the, a wrong duck, then all of your shots start to advance that duck. So it's a, it's a very cute and very fun mode that I think people will enjoy uh, when they get to it. Right. So there's and there's a lot. I mean, I think when when you flip the machine, there's a lot to shoot for. There's clearly a lot of modes and 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 different things to achieve in the game. Um, so, Josh, what is it like when you know when you're showing this game and you know we pinball is a world in which it, it seems like the the strategy for so many of these companies is to just like reveal a game, get this huge hype bubble going, you know, ship people their games immediately. Is it hard? spending like six seven months since reveal getting all this feedback you know hearing people gripe about the lcd i saw you and ben heck made up a little bit at mgc what's it like like when everyone is just sort of attacking different elements is it do you wish they would just it, there, there wouldn't be a pin side and you could just make this game or is it helpful well uh first of all i'm not sure ben and i made up i mean i smacked him in the back of the head with a <laughs> lockdown bar but so what's know, that but been like i know the animations take a lot of heat like and we've given it heat on this show is it walk me through it like what's what's up with 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 the screen do you think there's too much emphasis on it and people need to just like focus on the pinball below the glass more right well i i will say and people have heard me heard me say this that um you know per, personally when i look at a game the thing that is least important to me, uh, and regardless of what we're talking about with our games, is what's happening on the display. What I'm focused on is what's going on under the glass, the, play, the, the layout, the ball, the rules, uh, the lights, the music, the sounds. All of those items rank ahead of the display in my book. When, when, you're, when you're first working on a game and we're working just even in a simulator, 
and tried to work through the game. The first time you start to put music into it and sound, the game starts to come alive. When you get to start shooting the game, it starts to come alive. When you implement the light shows and things are happening and they're flashing and they're directing you, things come to life. And you spend all of your time that way not looking at the display. The display is there to communicate to the user at times where the ball is not in play, right? And it's for the spectators. Right. So not that. So I'm not saying that, that they're not important, but just personally in, in my scheme of things, uh, if there's one thing that people were going to, if that's the, the thing that people have the biggest issue with our game, I'm glad it's that verse the layout or the rules or the other parts of the game. Right. Having said that, I'm actually pretty pleased with the animations in Oktoberfest. I'm not saying they're the greatest thing in the world. I think they fit the theme very well. Uh, some people think the Houdini animations uh, are, are better than what we've done in Oktoberfest. Some see it differently. I, I think it fits the theme. I think we have a lot more variety in our animations than what some companies do. Uh, maybe that's not the right approach that we should be taking. Maybe we should be focusing on less and in a different style. Um, and at the same time, I'm not going to say that our animations are where I want them to be. Uh, we want them to keep getting better and better. And, and I think they have, I think each time we add something to it, uh, it's getting better. And I'm confident that on our next game, uh, our animations will be uh, even better still. Um, do you, so, do you, th do you think there's, too much emphasis on it it sounds like that's what you're saying and I, and I agree i mean i think you know the 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 game is below the glass but more and more when i see game reveals and i saw this with with black knight recently it was just so much about the animations and well, I, I think how part often of what can you look up right but i think what happens when you watch a stream in particular there's a couple of problems when you're first seeing a game for the first time in a stream First is the music and sound rarely comes through properly on a stream. Uh, I don't think the, the streamers, maybe some are getting better, have really figured out the, the best way to capture game sound um, in a stream. When Marty was streaming, Marty from Head to Head was streaming some Oktoberfest down in Texas, I said, oh, can we just pull it right off the amp? But it wasn't really compatible with his equipment. Um, I think it's a challenge. You could barely hear the way the microphone is set up. The second problem with streaming is, you know, people are watching that screen is right there much more so than it would ever be for the player or people watching. So, again, you, it draws your right. attention quite a bit. And we all do that when we watch a stream. You kind of focus on that display because you're the spectator, uh, not the player. Um, and I think there's some phenomenal animations being done across the companies. There's very different styles um, going on out there, different approaches as people are trying to you know, figure out the right way to do these things. And I think you'll see that we'll adjust our animations on each game based on the theme, right? Uh, the style of it. I have to ask, because it is Oktoberfest, was the plan to originally get it out in October? Um, well, we actually kind of rushed it out a little bit uh, for Expo. Uh, it was really a little bit ahead of our, of our schedule. Uh, but we wanted to do it to help support Expo and support Rob Burke um, in, in getting that going so they would have a new game reveal. Um, right. Because Expo, you know, obviously it's, it's you know been a little bit on the decline the last few years for a variety of reasons. You know, they're trying to, you know, kind of relaunch it, so to speak. Uh, so we wanted to be there uh, for that. So we sort of 
pushed pretty hard hard to get there. Now, I will say we expected our goal was to still then be in production uh, within a couple of months, two, three months of that. And so that's taken longer than we thought, um, partially because we wanted to change some things uh, that we saw. And we said there was an opportunity to do that. Um, and so uh, we're actually our timing is pretty good as we're starting to ship games out and we'll start getting games overseas to Europe. And they'll be there in plenty of time for Oktoberfest, which starts in September which will uh, be here before we know it. Right. Um, so if people place orders now, so Josh, when when can we expect to see the first unboxings? Well, games have already uh, gone out and been unboxed. Uh, now, the reason you probably aren't seeing stuff on Pinside is because most of the games uh, that are going out now are going to locations. Operators, okay. Uh, yeah, our, our focus has been that both our distributors typically, that's their focus. They want to get the game out on location for people to see. They want their operators want to get new games. Um, you know, I had an operator who was quite upset with me at, at MGC. Uh, you see a six October fest on order and he doesn't have any of them yet. Um, so he was a little like, when am I getting these? Cause he says other people are getting them. Um, so, you know, obviously we're trying to ramp up production a, as rapidly uh, as we can. So uh, there are, uh, you know, probably three dozen or more, at least three dozen that are out there. I think probably almost all of those are, uh, the majority are on location, uh, various places. So if you see on Pinside, there's a couple places in Wisconsin that has it. this place in uh, Georgia, Florida, um, obviously here in Chicago, it's on location. Right. Uh, and that's always, that was our focus with Houdini as well was to first get it into dealer showrooms. And that's where some of them are as well. And then uh, out on location. Okay. And then, I don't know if you can tell me this or not, but at capacity or at full efficiency, how many can you guys crank out a week? Uh, I'm not sure what number they're at right now. Um, I'm going to say it's you know, 30 or 35 a week, I think, is what they're um, cranking out. Okay. And you guys are in a new facility, right? No, we're actually still in the old facility. That's the other challenge okay. we're dealing with these so, days. I, you guys are, there is a new facility happening in the future, though, right? Because I think I saw a picture yes. where you actually have an office waiting for you in the future. Is that all? No, accurate? I don't have an office. The offices are being built now. So we, we got to, we were supposed to be in there like in September. Originally, they were talking we'd be in there in September, which I laughed at because it was a little too quick. And I said, there's no way we're moving into new offices a month before Expo. Okay. But then what happened is the, the current tenant in the building, they couldn't get them out. Uh, oh, wow. They like used to move out. They were having an issue with where they, where they were moving to, and they weren't leaving. And they finally got them out. Um, and then they had to basically, you know, gut the building. They they like grounded down the floors. These floors were just nasty, and they grounded them down. And now those have been resurfaced. Um, and now the offices are finally going up. Right. Uh, so we'll be in there soon. So we had kept hoping we'd be able to really start production there. Uh, but we've had to start at the old facility and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start making them and probably my guess is we'll make them and set up the new line in the new location and then hopefully just do a quick, very quick, uh, switch over to the new place, which I'm looking forward to because it's closer to home for me. So, right. And so does that mean game number three is currently in development? Yes, absolutely. Uh, game three, game four, um, uh, even in some to some degree, game five is, um, you know, in various stages uh, of development, obviously game three being uh, the furthest along. 
at this point. Right. Um, I, I'm pretty excited about game three. I'm, I'm uh, really looking forward to uh, being able to get really focused on that. It'll be wrapping up uh, Oktoberfest over the next few weeks. Um, we'll be pretty much done with that. Um, and then we'll be able to really start focusing on game three. Now, we, we saw the four titles that were, were sort of the trademark applications for the company. Let me ask you a question, Josh, because how, what kind of market research, and I ask this a lot on this show, and, and, and I'm always curious because for a company like AP, you know, you have to, you guys must look at the pinball landscape and see, you know, you got Stern with these juggernaut themes. You've got Jersey Jack who has like a game maybe every 18 months. He's trying to get better at that. You've got Chicago Gaming making remakes, right, of classic hits. So they're not really taking much of a risk when it comes to theme. But you guys kind of have to get the theme right to have the demand. How do you guys do the market research? So if you have those four titles like Robin Hood, Sherlock Holmes, Valkyrie, and Poker Run, is there ever any talk internally of like maybe we should just do a, a polling or is, is it is that – or will you tip your hat too much to the competition about what you're doing? Well, in a sense, releasing those four did do polling, right? Right. You know, there was uh, an awful lot of discussion about it. We actually had just some fun in our seminars asking for hands to be raised partially so I could, you know, win bets with Balser on things. But um, in, in a sense, there was a little bit of market research and seeing the reactions and thoughts to uh, those titles and how people would respond to them. Uh, we obviously uh, talk to our distributors, our customers, uh, players. Uh, we obviously all know tons of players. So, so we talk about different things and different themes. We look at how things are going to play out in the marketplace. Uh, you know, Not that we know exactly what our competitors are doing. There's obviously a lot of rumors. Um, there's always a lot of talk. You have a sense. I mean, Wonka being Wonka did not surprise anybody at this point, right? Right. Right. Uh, you know, Toy Story 4 is not going to surprise anybody at this point. Um, you know, clearly, you know, it seems Stern's trying to, you know, button things up. Uh, I know Jersey Jack's trying to button things up, trying to keep things more under wraps. Uh, but, you know, we certainly look at some of that as well to say, what are the other titles coming out? And, and how do we, you know, what makes sense for us to do? And, and what fits with our philosophy, uh, which is timeless themes, uh, the themes that we're looking at are, are themes that are not fads or something where, you know, five years from now, 10 years, you know, now you're looking back saying, you know, God, why would I wanted that theme or remember that old show? So, uh, you know, some things will age well, some things won't, but uh, we, we kind of are, are attracted right now to, to timeless themes. Right. Um, and, and, and I think the, that, say that a little bit about, you know, what, what Jersey Jack has done with obviously Wizard of Oz. Um, you know, Wonka, uh, certainly maybe not quite timeless yet, but maybe it, it is. I certainly have fond memories of, of that movie myself. And yeah, it was 1971. Uh, it's got a, it's got a good run going, right? It's 40 years. So, right. That's, uh, right. Well, yeah. and, and, so does that mean to you guys have explored licensed properties that might also be timeless? I mean, there's there's some older properties out there like the King Kongs of the world where they've been around for for a long, long time, um, but there might be some licensing involved with them. Are you guys looking at more of open IP stuff that is timeless? Well, uh, we, we like the, the open IP, but we're certainly thinking about license themes uh, for down the road. 
the challenge with licensed themes for a small company like ours is that it adds a an additional uncontrollable factor into your timelines. Right. In terms Once of you have to start and... dealing with approvals from a studio and the potential roadblocks that can come up, you lose control over your timeline. And then a couple of things happen. Either you dumb it down and simplify as much as possible to get through the approvals, meaning you don't push the envelope a little bit. You, you maybe are a little less creative than you'd like to be to hit the timelines. Or, or you try to do those things and your timelines get messed with. When you have multiple games in the works uh, and you're trying to get out more than one game a year or two games a year, you're in a better position to potentially juggle those things than we would be right now. Um, gotcha. You know, with October, we didn't have to worry about getting approvals with, uh, and if you look at the four titles on that list, none of those are things we'd have to go get approvals for. Right. So as we continue to grow our staffing and our team and start trying, you know, we'd like to be able to get to more than one title a year. I think that's when you'll see uh, licensed titles uh, are, are more attractive to us. But having said that, yes, we would be looking for not necessarily, you know, a current movie theme as much as something that, uh, that that's timeless, right. uh, that we think adds value um, you know, to, to what we're doing. Uh, those would be the things we would be looking at. Um, and of course, you know, you know I'll, I'll say all of this and then some new license will come to us and we'll end up doing it. And you'll bring me on and say, Josh, that's not a timeless thing. <laughs> yeah, we did have, I have to laugh, we did have Bob Ross's estate contact us to do a Bob Ross pinball machine if they wanted to license him. I mean, 5,000 <laughs> units sold overnight. Um, it's interesting. We saw Beetlejuice. There's a big, I don't know if you saw that back and forth with Franchi and George Gomez debating Beetlejuice as, as a timeless theme. Apparently, the Stern design team did not feel it was, they were passionate enough about it to make it. Uh, well, I think passion really is an important part of it. You know, people will throw out theme suggestions, and the one I always reference is you know, uh, the Three Stooges. I'm not a Three Stooges fan. I could never, I would never want to spend a year of my life with the Three Stooges. The game would not be very good because there's no way I could be passionate about the game. I think Beetlejuice is a theme that there are some people who could be very passionate about it. Um, so it's a little surprising that there was no group of guys at uh, Stern that were passionate about it. But of course, I don't know what else is on the table and the other things they're looking at. Personally, I, I can't say I'm a Beetlejuice fan. <laughs> That's right. not necessarily a theme that registers with me, but I know plenty of people who would say, oh, that's a great theme. Right. Um, but of course, not every great theme can be a great pinball machine, and it doesn't necessarily mean um, that it's uh, going to sell well and be received well. I mean, if you're going to go Tim Burton, you got to go Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Might as well start there. See, and, and that's, again, another theme. That theme does absolutely nothing for me. Right. But there is no doubt some people would think that is a phenomenally great theme. And, and you know, you could actually do an awful lot with that theme. Um, you can make it so you play with the left flipper button only and use your right hand, free up your right hand to be the real <laughs> peewee. <laughs> so, well, I, I think, I, look, I let me ask you a question about as you sort of look at AP and its growth and and it seems like you guys are growing, you know, like a spooky. And I don't mean like, I don't know how big each company is, but if you, do you guys look at a company like spooky, a couple questions I have, they were successful 
at limiting the number of games to sort of create a demand for each title. Curious if if you guys are, are ever entertaining something like that. And then second thing they did was acquire a homebrew game like TNA, right, which went on to become their most successful title to date. Are you guys looking at contract manufacturing some of these really passion projects that are floating out there in the pinball world? Um, yeah, Spooky is a, is a great company. You know, Charlie's a great guy. I absolutely love uh, what he's done. He's built uh, a nice business that he's very happy with. You know, I think he likes the size that the business is in. Um, and I give him a lot of credit that he's been willing to, you know, just do things the way he wants and not listen to people and, and do the business and size it the way he wants. Uh, I think our goal is to uh, be bigger than, uh, let's say, a boutique maker, which I think is what Charlie would consider himself. It's the boo and boutique. Um, and I think he likes the, the, the size they do things. I think we'd like to uh, go bigger than that and, and be bigger than that. Uh, as far as contract manufacturing, we, we are very open to that. Uh, we would like the opportunity to help bring games to market. Uh, those kind of things aren't always as simple uh, as people would like to think. Uh, you know, the types of TNAs, often a homebrew game is, is not ready for production. Uh, so there's typically a lot of work that needs to be done. Often they are licensed themes. So now you first have to actually still go deal with getting a license. Well, what the, what the code or the content of the game may not, may not then work. So there, there, there's a lot of challenges to do that, but it's something we're open to. And you know, we've had conversations with people and we, and we will continue to have conversation and uh, hopefully we'll help some people bring games to market. We would certainly like to do that, whether they're, you know, American pinball branded or, or branded under their name or some combination thereof. Um, so we are in conversations like that on, on a regular basis. And we'll see if any of those things actually uh, come to uh, fruition. Where you guys are right now, Josh, like what what do you guys consider to be a hit in terms of volume at this stage in your company? Is it a thousand units? Is it two thousand? Is do you not want to you answer know, that? You know, I'm just curious as well, you guys like do you because you're growing. We, we we don't define a hit. I mean, I, I'd say, you know, we want to be doing a couple of thousand of every game we do. I mean, I think anybody who says they want to do less than that is not being honest with themselves. I mean, that's our goal. Our goal is to beat Adam's family's 20,000 games. Someday maybe we'll find a theme and a game that can do that. In total, game, one title. Not holding my breath, but, you know. You know, uh, that that's our goal is, I mean, we would like to create games that a huge number of people want to put in their homes or in on location. Right. Um, so I don't think there's any number uh, we look at. Um, I think if you do less than a thousand of a game, you, you probably want to be doing at least a thousand of any game you do. Uh, I think that's a, a goal, whether or not that's a hit or not. Um, you know, if you could do 2000, all the better. Um Again, you know, you want it to be a quality game and hopefully it sells. Right. I mean, I would ask you if Houdini hit that, but no one gives me their numbers that I don't expect you to give me sales numbers no, either. No, nobody, nobody's going to give numbers. Nobody. <laughs> no, I know. I can never get them. Um, did you guys meet? I, when I went to TPF, I know the remake of Kingpin is an interesting title. As they are they are talking to different manufacturers out there because they, they openly have admitted that they will get this game to the finish line and then they don't want to make it, but they want someone to help them make it. Is that something that you guys would consider? 
Um, uh, certainly, as I said, we are always looking for those opportunities. Um, you know, it's probably no secret to anybody. We, we've had some conversations with those guys. First of all, we know those guys. We see them at all the shows. Uh, we've chatted with them. They've made no secret that they've been up in Chicago talking with companies. Um, as, as you know, when you know, rumors are spreading about somebody getting something made, sometimes it strikes me as that's probably not true because I don't think we've heard from them. Uh, and if somebody was looking to get a game made, I would expect they would at least reach out to the various companies that are out there to see what the possibilities are. Right. All right. So sometimes when I hear a rumor, I'm like, yeah, it could be true, but gee, I'm surprised I haven't heard, you know, from a more reliable source that they've been talking with, with someone. Right. Obviously, if you get a game made, you're probably going to talk to Spooky. You're going to talk to Chicago Gaming and talk to us. I don't think Stern has much interest in doing games for other people anymore. Um, but I would think people would at least reach out to them. Um, because you know, those are the people want to go talk to to see what might be possible. Right. Josh, the pinball landscape, it's changed a lot, right? And it seems to change every year with more and more companies jumping into the ring. What are your thoughts on, on the pinball landscape and the marketplace right now? Or is it, and how does that affect your approach at American pinball? Do, do you feel there's becoming an, it increased volume of titles. Some might even call it an oversaturation, which pushes, uh, you know, the need to be even better and to make a game that's even higher caliber because there's so many options right now asking for people's money and space in their homes. Like, how do you guys look at the landscape right now? Well, yeah, I would see there's a bunch of companies popping up all the time and, whether or not the market can absorb that also depends a little bit on everybody's aspirations for how many games they're looking to sell, right? It gets back right. to what you asked me. Um, you know, if some of these companies that are popping up are thinking, oh, you know, we want to sell 100 games or 200 games, can the marketplace absorb uh, a couple of companies like that? Yeah, it, it probably can. There's certainly only a certain amount of appetite um, for games, but, you know, pinball is very healthy right now. Uh, location play is getting stronger and stronger. Um, to me, the biggest constraint is space in the market. Literally, the physical space people have in their homes. Uh, you know, obviously, money is a factor for many people, but for many, it, it's space is an issue. But more important is, I think everybody in this who wants to continue to grow location play, um, getting more people interested in pinball, getting more locations to have pinball machines. Uh, is the best thing all of us can do uh, for, for the health of the industry uh, and, and for the hobby. Right. What when you see a company like Deep Root, sort of? I mean, they they've they're working with J-Pop, and you guys worked a little bit with J-Pop. I don't want to bring up you know bad memories. I just saw yesterday they say they're working on twelve White Woods, and there's there's a lot of sort of I, I don't want to say like. I, there's a lot of words before actions in this in this industry, and do you think sometimes th that is to the detriment of the hobby, where people don't really understand how hard it is to really make pinball, and yet a lot of people are jumping into the ring with a lot of promises, and and you guys have a game that's pretty much on the line now. Do you ever worry that like some people are even like holding their money to see what's next from a company that hasn't even made anything yet? Well, I mean, there's always going to be what's next uh in that sense but you know the, the running joke is that pinball is hard and, it, and it's not a joke and having come from home bruce i built a couple of games so i'd already experienced that pinball was hard 
But then when you go to doing commercial machines, you realize there's another level of pinball is hard uh, that you get to. And many people ha have run into this and that challenge. And, you know, we, we could list them. You know, I don't have to tell you who they are. You know who they are. There's a long list of companies who, who have attempted this and failed and either never got their games out the door or only got a small number of their games out the door. Uh, it's a challenge. Yeah, I do think one of the things people have to give you know us credit for is we didn't make a ton of noise. We, in the span of a very short period of time, we came out with Houdini. We said we would ship it before the end of the year. We shipped it before the end of the year. We've turned around and come out with another game that is you know full featured and robust and well built. Uh, so uh, while not everybody might like our, our, our theme choices or our animations, we've clearly shown we can you know, create a game and, and, and get those games out the door without taking people's money, without a lot of uh, puffery and uh, doing that. And, um, and it is hard to do that. Um, and I think some of these companies that, that are coming along will have a rough road and, and some will make it and we'll probably see some others that will never quite get their games out the door or it'll take years to do it. Right? We've seen some companies ultimately succeed, take four or five years to, to get a game out. Um, and that creates its own sets of, of challenges uh, if it takes you that long uh, to do it. Right. Any concerns seeing Jersey Jack go down in price? I, I saw that they announced they're going to be at 7700 for standard edition. Knowing that's right around your price point, is there any... Any worry there? You guys feel like you've got a full featured game and like, you know, we're, we're, we're comfortable with where we're at. We feel like we're giving you, you know, your value is worth. Um, uh, you know, it, obviously, you know, going into MGC, knowing, you know, we were going to see Steve's game and Pat's new game. And it's kind of interesting. You really got a, a classic Steve Ritchie game. It's fast. Uh, it, it's an exciting game to play. It's a fast game. You got a classic Pat Lawler game. You know, smooth shooting, uh, you know, sort of the other elements you typically expect from him. And you actually have a what I would call a classic Joe Balser game in that it's different layout than anything anybody's done before, uh, which is typical of Joe. His layouts are all over there. So it's a, a great you know moment in time for Pimble to have all these things. And you have very different games out there for, for different tastes. Uh, you know, some people are going to love Black Knight and not like Wonka and vice versa. And the same with Oktoberfest. Right. Um, I was surprised when I heard their price point. Um, but when I, I look at the Wonka and I did get to play uh, a bunch of games on it, uh, I'm pretty comfortable that Oktoberfest stacks up really nicely with that as far as with the features in the game, the rules of the game, uh, the fun factor, uh, what we include in the game. Um, I think we're very competitive. And I think some people are going to like Wonka because they're going to like the theme. Uh, they like the, the Jersey Jack treatment to games. And I think some people are going to like Oktoberfest because they like the theme. They like what we the value we give you for the dollar and what we pump into our games. Um, and there's some people who are going to say they want Black Knight because they want you know that style of game. And, uh, and so I think it's going to be an interesting time. And it's great that people have a lot of great choices. I enjoyed uh, getting a chance to play uh, both of those games uh, at MGC. If Actually, you personally had a pick, I know you've you you will have an Oktoberfest. So if you had a pick between Black Knight and Wonka, which one excites you more? Well, you know what, I I, I played each one only 
Uh, I think I played Wonka four or five times. I think I maybe played three or four on Black Knight. And there is no way I would be able to make a choice between the two right now without getting more play on them. Uh, they are they are very different games in style. Uh, I'd have to really get to know the rules of the games because to me that's a critical part as well as how the game shoots. I'd also want to play the game when it's properly set up. Uh, I don't think the Wonka games that the flipper power was where it should have been or supposed to be. Uh, so I wouldn't want to fully assess it based on that. Uh, I, I love both themes. I was a Black Knight 2000 owner. It's one of the few games I sold that I regret letting go. I'm a huge, huge Gene Wilder fan. Uh, love that version of Wonka. So I'm attracted to both themes and both games shoot really well. Uh, after I get more time, then I can maybe tell you which would be uh, my first choice. Um, they're very different. And I think most collections should have a variety of games. So I wouldn't mind having both of those on either side of my Oktoberfest. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point. I mean, I've I've, I've been reading a lot of, of recently on the forums is, you know, people are formulating opinions before ever flipping a game. And I think we're all guilty of that at, at certain times. Uh, but more than ever, with so many options, really playing a game, understanding the game. And to your point, Josh, like playing it when it's set up right, it's not always the easiest, right? To ha- if you can, does it ever frustrate you when you see, you know, sometimes you might have distributors who have an Oktoberfest set up and you go up to it and it's just not set up right. And you're like, oh my God, like people are going to walk up and their first impression could be everlasting and it's not set up properly. Uh, certainly, you know, you'll hear stories or location play where, you know, you'll hear things, you know, the game is not set up properly and, and most games need to be, some are more sensitive to it, uh, than others. But if a game's not set up right, and if it's not tweaked correctly, uh, you know, you can play two of the same games. The people who own a game have this experience all the time. They go play the, the game they have that in somebody else's house or on location or whatever, and it can plays completely differently, you know, based on how games are tweaked and, and how they're set up it's a pretty critical part but then i think the other part of assessing uh, a game is uh when when simpsons pinball party first came out and this is obviously long before Pinside. all the talk on uh, rgp was this is like the greatest game ever so i'm like all right i gotta go find this game i need to go play this game so i find it i was like a chuck e cheese's for crying out loud so I went to Chuck E. Cheese's so I could play Simpsons Pinball Party, and I played a half dozen games on it. And, and I walked away thinking, you know, it's okay. It's an okay game. You know, it shoots nice, kind of interesting layout. I kind of got the modes. And I'm like, I don't understand why people think this is such a great game. And then I took the time to read up on the rules. And then I went back and played it again. And then I started to realize what made that game great. The combination of the rules with the layout, with the voice calls, uh, when you, when you understand all of those things, then you can really understand and, and really get the game and appreciate the game and, and evaluate it. Right. Uh, and since that experience, which is a pretty long time ago, um, I try to be careful about not drawing a definitive conclusion on a game the first time I play it. But sometimes you step up a game, you play it, it feels really good and you want to keep playing it. Sometimes you step up, it, it just doesn't feel, and maybe you give up on it early. But... It's really nice when you can take the time to really get the feel for a game and understand it to really say, yeah, I like this game and it registers or no, not my cup of tea. Right. No, totally. And I struggle with that on this show is you know, I play a game 
and sometimes I'll go to Sunshine Laundromat and I'll play Pirates of the Caribbean and it's set up poorly and I I do a show and I rag on it and everyone hates me or I go to Jersey Jack and I play Willy Wonka and I love it and then I'm a shill and no one thinks I have any credibility left. So I'm I'm trying to find the balance, but I think ultimately, I think what we all realize, you got to just play the game and see if it's fun for you. We all have different tastes. We all have different things we look for in a game. And hopefully in the future, you know, we can, you know, just respect people who do like other games. And I think that's what I'm trying to learn on this show is it's okay that, you know, there's different strokes for different folks. And we're still going to call it as I see it, but I'm just one opinion. And that's that's just how we do this show. Um, right. But I think, you know, what, one of the, the issues I have a little bit with, with po- the podcasters and the YouTube channels and the streamers, I'm just kind of lump everybody together, even though this this doesn't apply, is what, first, one of the challenges you guys have is you're trying to create content every week or multiple times a week. And a new game gets revealed and you guys can't help yourself but to start commenting about the game. Maybe all you've seen is the flyer or you've seen some crappy photos somebody took on their cell cam or video they took that way. But you're, you're not going to not talk about it, right? There's no way a new game's going to come out and you're going to say, well, guys, hey, listen, I'm not going to talk about this game because I haven't had a chance to flip it yet, right? So that pushes you into making these hasty generalizations about a game based on that, that first reaction, as we talked about, is the art. Or, or the theme. And you know, the, the downside to that is both to yourself and to your listeners, you start to already draw conclusions about something you, you haven't experienced for, for yourself. Um, then the, the second thing that will then make me even crazier is, because I, I get that, is there was one podcast or, or a YouTube channel, I'm not sure what, they're, what they call themselves, but they did a review of Houdini. And they start off, and one of the guys says, yeah, I, I've only played it once. It was out on location. I really couldn't hear the music. And they proceeded to do an actual review uh, of the game and was just actually completely wrong about features of the game and functionality of the game. And I'm thinking, you know, it's one thing to kind of give your thoughts and reaction to a game that's been revealed. But if you're going to review a game and, and really present it to users, then take the time to know and learn the game before you do that you know i'll give um uh you know, straight down the middle a lot of credit for that right they might reveal talk about a game that they first seen and they're kind of always cautious about to what degree and then they make sure they actually get to, a chance to really play it and get to know the game and before they critique it and they don't like every game they love certain things they don't but uh, i give them a lot of credit that they kind of try to hold back a little bit uh, on their commentary until they've actually a chance to l- play the game in a proper environment, get to experience the game. Uh, so I just encourage you and your brethren <laughs> when possible to do that. But I recognize you're always going to comment immediately when a game comes out because we all do. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. And I think you hit it on the head. It's that, you know, we're giving just our hasty opinion. And I think people tune in to listen to hear if if my hasty opinion syncs up with their hasty opinion, and then we can be hasty opinion brothers together. Um, but I think what was interesting about what Jack did with Wonka, which I do encourage other manufacturers to do, is if you can just bring people in a little bit earlier and just give them a better experience with the pin for the first time, 
I, I think that does go a long way in just helping us understand like the design philosophy and experience the game the right way, the way the manufacturer wants the game to be experienced. I know we can't always do that. There's just there's logistics involved. There's all this other stuff involved. Uh, it also the downside of that is if you get really excited and you share that excitement, it then to your point earlier, Josh, it's like. I think I raised people's expectations to the point where nothing could actually live up to them. Um, no, and I did then, not hear hype on it. I mean, I heard you were hyping it, but what what I will say in your defense, not even having heard it, there was certainly plenty of hype about Wonka going into it. Now, maybe you kind of gave it that final push up uh, over the top, but there was huge anticipation for that game. There was huge anticipation for Dialed In right. when it came out. Not that we knew it was Dialed In, but for it to be Pat Waller's game. I mean, Pat Waller doing Willy Wonka, you know, there was there was a ton of hype. Steve Ritchie doing Star Wars, you know, there, there's going to be high expectations and hype for that going into it. And again, very hard in any of those cases or anything that gets hyped for it to live up to the hype, at least not with everybody. I, I, I've felt the arrows of, of that feedback over the last like week or so. And it's kind of like people love this show when I'm negative. And then I try to like get sh- share my excitement. And people did really respond well to the enthusiasm I had. And it was genuine. This wasn't like I was pumping this game to then flip it and just make a profit. I, I do plan to get a Willy Wonka. Uh, but what I learned is, you know, there's a lot of, dangling sort of wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute i thought bubba wanted the Oktoberfest. <laughs> well That's we might have room because i think i'm about to get rid of batman because I've, I've enjoyed the game tremendously um i to your point about space i have room for one maybe two but it's really tight with two uh if i put that because they're in my bedroom and it's not really ideal uh, i wish i had more room i would have more pins for sure so it does help help me sort of not splurge too much um, but you know, I, look, it's, it's interesting when I was talking about stuff like this game's really innovative. And even as you were describing coding a game in which you only are playing with one hand while you drink beer in the other, to me, that's like an innovation that I haven't experienced in a pinball machine before. And I would push those innovations forward, you know, in marketing the game as a differentiator, but n- moving forward, I, I I'm going to have to hold back, even if I am really excited and maybe I should hold back too, even if I am, you know, pretty disappointed until I get the full picture. And I, I'm a work in progress in this show. And it, I hope my listeners understand that. And, and, and Josh, I really appreciate you coming on too, because, you know, I, this is, it's not always easy. It's a lot easier to do what I do for sure than what you're doing and what the manufacturers are doing, uh, because you guys are assembling thousands of parts to create a toy that for all intents and purposes should be obsolete by 2019, that is having a crazy resurgence. And on some level, that's really the most important thing is that we have all this pinball to choose from and to enjoy. And, you know, I, 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 I think that's a great thing. But, you know, there's no reason pinball should, you know, in a sense ever die. It's art, it's recreation, it's so many things combined into one. Um, that I think it's one of the reasons why it continues to uh, survive and has had this resurgence as a new generation has discovered it. The, the, the tactile feel, the physical world, 
uh, and all the other pieces that go with that. It's one of the things that, that appeals people to it, whether it's the flashing lights or, or any other aspect of it. And the fact that we're seeing this growth in uh, you know, location play and, and barcades, and obviously we're hoping Oktoberfest will be very popular in barcades. It's a natural fit for that. And, you know, again, it lets you play one-handed. So uh, that's good for the bars who want you to be drinking. I need to work on that in our marketing materials. Yeah. I'll get this into bars. Um, and I, so I think it is a very exciting time in pinball. Um, you know, I think over the last four or five years, the innovation uh, has started to step up, at least in the creativity certainly has. Certainly as we look at each game, whether it's the, 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 the layout or from the rules, we're always looking at what can we do that's different and clever and, and fun and sort of gets a little bit to the, you know, when we're working with Joe, there's a bunch of crazy things, a few crazy things we've done in the game that he looks at me a little strange about being a tournament guy. And, um, and I say, no, we're going to do this because people are going to love it. Uh, we, we have a mode in the game that he was not real excited about. Uh, and it's an outlane mode. So uh, if you earn the outlane saves a couple of times, uh, we give you a, a save, but then eventually you have to earn it. We force you to, uh, to play a mode to be able to continue your ball and get the ball saved. So one of the modes is called last call. And, and last call, the objective is, uh, the, the, basically your ball is paused at this point, and your objective is you need to spell sober. Okay? So fortunately, when I came up with that, the between the letters of Oktoberfest and Prost, we have targets that spell sober. And on the screen, there are five very attractive people, uh, a little bit blurry because the question is whether or not you're sober or not. Uh, and when you play, the flippers are a little delayed because, again, you've been drinking. And as you start to spell sober, the flippers delay goes away a little bit, but the characters on screen uh, become a little less blurry and a little less attractive. <laughs> and so Joe right. at first wasn't the beer goggles are coming off. Yep. It's absolutely right. And he wasn't really crazy about the idea until he got his machine and some friends came over and played and, and they loved it. And he, he messaged me the next morning and says, okay, I was wrong. <laughs> See, um, I, and, I know, think that's what's missing from so much pinball, and I, and I have to sort of, you know, I'm totally honest when I say this, you can do so much fun stuff with the coding and the electrical elements you have to work with. I just see such a lack of creativity there in pinball, and again, I just, this is why it kills me that so much effort is put into like the LCD screen and so little effort into like unique stuff like that. Well, I think, it, you know, everybody tries to, you know, do something different and innovative on each game as they can. And it depends on the theme and the time and whether or not you've consumed enough tequila, because um, it's certainly a, a critical aspect of coming up with some of the crazy things uh, to do. And uh, so I think there has been a, a, a lot of innovation that's gone on, maybe not something that's as revolutionary uh, as people would like. Uh, there are certain constraints within the, the environment you're working in uh, to be able to do things. Uh, but we do spend a lot of time um, you know, talking about cool things we can do and how do we make it work and how do you fit that in a budget and how do you technically make that work. And uh, making all those things come together when you're also working on a timeline, which is one of the nice things. Now, as I said, you know, game three, game four, game five, uh, they're not all imminent. But as we develop our roadmap, we're able to talk about these games that are further down the road and gives us more time to be 
uh, creative and innovative. Uh, See, I was having I, I one just, day start... with Jim Thornton, and we were throwing out some ideas that are potentially for game five. And it was just like, oh, that'd be really cool. And you now we right. have more time to you know, evolve that. Because like, when you start talking about stuff like that, and it just it immediately just gets me thinking like, wow, it must be fun to sit in a room and imagine the possibilities of like what we can do with a physical pinball machine. I mean, I'm looking at Batman right now and I'm like, wow, one of the characters is Mr. Freeze. Like, and all there is in the game right now, not to take anything away from Lyman because he's one of the greatest coders of all time, but how cool would it have been if like Mr. Freeze, if you don't hit a shot in a certain time period, like he freezes up your flipper so it's stuck in the upward position until you unfreeze it, right? And it's like that type of stuff where it's more physical and not always just about the lights and the switches and the LCD. I, I just think it's untapped the possibilities well, to a, do more with the physical game. There, there's a balance there. So as we went through, you know, with Oktoberfest, you know, we have the one handed mode, right? We have the mode I just described where there's the flippers are a little delayed and there's actually another mode. It's a, a MIDI wizard mode, so it's not something you get to very often, where the flippers are a little bit too weak uh, on purpose and then get stronger. Uh, it's in a mode called Calorie Coma. Uh, so in Calorie Coma, you've, uh, there's food. A food stand is part of Oktoberfest. Uh, you score points and you're eating food and you accumulate calories. And if you get to too many calories, you go into a calorie coma. Uh, the game comes to a halt until you work off some of those calories. Uh, and at that point, the flippers are a little weak because you're, you're weak from being tired and in a coma. And then as you hit it, the flippers get stronger and then the game resumes play. Um, so, we, you know, but then at some point you say, OK, we got to be careful. We don't do too many of these things in right. one game. The right yeah, balance. You feel special and unique. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's sort of why a mini wizard mode or an outlane mode, you know, and on the outlane modes, I feel I can mess with people because. I'm going to give, if you do well, I'm giving you your ball back. You already drained your ball. So you can't complain if I'm messing around with you with the flippers or something else. Right. I mean, justice is like just really fun stuff. I think for the listener of the show, I think we've heard a lot about some fun stuff in Oktoberfest that we haven't heard before. So I think, you know, for you, those of you out there looking for a different gameplay experience, it sounds like these guys are are implementing some really fun stuff. So one last thing on Oktoberfest we didn't even talk about, which are, are the steins in the game. So yes. I'm going to go through details, but for the tournament guys and the people who really like to strategize, uh, this concept of steins that give you that can boost a mode, they, they boost the scoring in a mode, but give you other benefits. Um, there, there's some really great and interesting strategy around that from you know, your gameplay, your situation, how you approach the game. Uh, and my strategy keeps changing as I play the game, as I do different things, I change my strategy and how I use the steins. So uh, again, whether it's for the, the tournament player or the person who wants the game in their home, who wants that kind of depth uh, to a game, that's one of the things Oktoberfest brings. There, there's a lot right. going on to it, but you could step up, have fun and not know any of that. You know, people at MGC, people at TPF were, were, were smiling and enjoying the game and didn't know anything about, you know, those those aspects of the rules. And I expect that the tournament players, the series players are going to really love uh, those features uh, of the game. So um, we, we will try and start getting some more. Uh, we do post on Pinside, uh, both uh, Ferret and I uh, are very posting various tips and we'll work with some folks to uh, get a uh, 
a game rule sheet put together, but in the short term, better for people just to experience it and kind of find it out on their on their own. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with the latter. Too much is given away before the game is even in the person's home. I hate that when you, they take the glass off during a stream and they the they just run their finger over the switches and just spoil everything. Right. Well, I, right, and I think when when I've purchased games, I usually like to play them for a little bit before I'll go look for a, a rule stock. I've, I've purchased a couple of games over the years that I barely knew, and just you know the price was right, or I was looking for a game and played it and explored it, and then eventually get the rules. And often that's when you find something was broken in your game, and that's why you hadn't found that thing yet. But uh, right. you know, I, I, I like to be able to do that. Now, I do have to laugh because I, I don't really – I've not kept up on the rules of a lot of games. I'm very focused on my own, and I actually went to uh, Level 257 here in Chicago. Uh, it's now called Pac-Man Entertainment, um, which was a much – a really smart move on their part to change their name because people driving past it probably had no idea what Level 257 was. Right. Uh, but I went there. There's a, a monthly league that happens there. It's just a, a fun get-together, and – uh, I went and pretty much I think I lost I think every match but one because I didn't really know the rules of the, a lot of those games. <laughs> you know? Right. And a lot of those people are serious players and were just beating me because they, they knew the rules. So I had a great time and it was fun for me to actually play something other than Houdini or Oktoberfest. It was actually fun to play games and, and meet some new people, but I had no expectation I was going to uh, to win much. Right. With people who actually know the rules of the game. Right. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Josh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, happy to have you on again sometime soon. I'm, I'm excited that your game is finally getting out the door. I know it's got to be exciting for everyone involved to see the, the, the games go into boxes and the boxes going out into the world. Yep, it's very exciting. And you, know, you, you put a lot of, of, of heart and soul into the games and – it's it's really rewarding when you watch people play and discover things in the game, uh, and you see them smile, and, and that's you know that's why you do it. That sounds like Bubba's like friend in the background. I, yeah, that's. Uh, I'm guessing my wife must have just pulled up into the into the driveway. <laughs> no, that's so, great. Well, Josh, hey, thank Angel you so much. The house. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on, and we'll talk soon. How's that sound? Sounds great. Thanks. All right, Josh. Thank you. All right, dogs were barking, but we got through the entire interview. I hope you enjoyed that talk with Josh. I think that American Pinball, uh, you know, they have some some work to do, uh, but they're also putting a lot into the games, and I don't think anyone would deny that. And I think hearing from Josh and hearing how they have more titles coming, uh, titles three, four, and five, uh, I, I think people are always going to be excited to see what's next from a company that clearly is trying to give you more in pinball. And I think to me that's the ultimate takeaway when you look at companies like American Pinball and Jersey Jack Pinball. Look, I think most of you out there, I think you pretty much understand what you're going to get from Stern. And I think every other company that is trying to give you more uh, is looked at a little bit differently than Stern Pinball. Okay. Now, something I have to clarify before I end this show is that I did hear that Brian Eddy is not doing Jurassic World. So I've been wrong on that rumor multiple times. And someone sent me a note and said, Chris, you're going to look like a fool when Jurassic World comes out and it's not Brian Eddy. So that also then leads to the question, well, what is Brian Eddy working on? 
Uh, is it Jaws? Are we back into the Jaws rumor? I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, this has been episode 342 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. Thank you for making it all the way through. I know it was a little bit of a longer show. I really appreciate all of you guys listening. I am very thankful to Josh Kugler for coming on the show. And I want to just say this. I know we go off on tangents every once in a while, but ultimately, we care a lot about pinball. We care a lot about getting the best pinball games back into the world. And I think we are at a point where we are starting to see much more from a lot of these pinball companies, and we should be excited by that. But we are not there yet, and I think we all agree. But we also should just learn how to enjoy these games. I mean, I think that was the point of my last sort of crazy podcast about complaining about the letter H and the Willy Wonka logo is we have we have reached a point where there are just some people in this hobby that are just cantankerous individuals that nothing excites them. They're not buying pinball machines. They literally just exist to complain about pinball machines. And look, Pinside's a great place for people like that. But you know what? Whatever. It also makes this hobby go round and round and round. Everyone, enjoy your pinball machines. Enjoy pinball. It's just a toy. We will be back this weekend with another episode of Canada's Pinball Podcast, the only pinball podcast that can do it weekly without being burnt out. Thank God for all the other podcasters that gave me tips on how to do that. Later, everyone. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Even if you don't